0: Chevy Chase had an ultimate hold on Shocker ultimate fight in nineteen. Oh, they was in
1: Caddyshack together. I forgot about that. When
0: was Caddyshack? Yes. No, when when was Caddyshack? When did that come out?
1: Oh, I have no idea, but they were that I they I, they and they might have even had they had scenes together in Caddyshack, I think, because they uh uh, there was that whole line where uh, Chevy Chase was like talking to him, and and I think that's where he came up with that line about how upon death, he you know Bill Murray said that he would achieve total uh, awakening or something, so he had that to look forward to.
0: Apparently, him, uh, Bill Murray, and Chevy Chase had a like a ultimate battle, like they got into a huge fight in <laughs> nineteen
1: seventy eight. Caddyshack. That was Caddyshack, yeah. That was when it came out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that that proves their point. The two divas couldn't work together. Yeah,
0: and they said it was a sad kind of tension that you could get in a family and get in a family, and everybody goes to their corners because they don't want to have to deal with the tension. Oh, my goodness. They didn't say it was on the Caddyshack thing. They, they're mentioning SNL, um, but where the bulk of the cast let the tension simmer just below Bill Murray, who had been brought onto SNL to replace Chase – Oh, shit. (laughs) You could understand. You know there were these two bull mooses going at each other, so the testosterone was surging and stuff happens.
1: Yeah, that would have. I don't see how the two of them even made Caddyshack together, to be perfectly honest, because that seems like that would have been a contentious thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, considering the kind of fight that fucking. uh, The
2: the big thing, both the actors are known for ad-libbing a lot of stuff and you can't have that like i know i don't know if you know them ever read about the history of bordello of blood we had corey feldman and um dennis um what's the other guy's name that was the other act the lead actor in that movie he oh was on my SNL. my god dennis um you know what i'm talking about though yeah, right yeah i do I'm hold on yet. i'm looking it up and they had a giant yeah. contention cuz they were both known for ad-libbing and then the dennis Dennis got used to getting mad at Corey Feldman. He used to walk off the set all the time. Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller. Yeah. I would yeah. also
0: like to point out that Angie Everhart was in that movie.
2: Yeah, she had amazing... She, I think she showed her titties
1: she, off. Yeah, she was smoking in that movie. Yeah, yeah. That's the only good thing about it.
2: Yeah, that, other than that, that movie was horrible, man. But when you're a young boy watching that, you're like, this is amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, John Candy turned down the role of Lewis Tully. Oh, thank God! Uh, Another idea-
0: character, not Peter Venkman,
1: <laughs> uh, because his ideas for the character were rejected. According to Ivan Reitman in the DVD commentary, among Candy's suggestions, he wanted for the character he wanted the character of Lewis Tully to have a German accent. And to have a pair of schnauzer dogs. And no one felt the German accent was appropriate for the character. And since there was a dog, and there was already dog imagery in the movie, i.e. the terror dogs, they felt having Tully have his own dogs was a little bit too too much.
2: You know what I could see in John Candy playing, thinking of that, is the role that uh, Rick Moranis played.
0: Yeah, I just thought about that too. I was thinking the same thing.
2: I could actually see him pulling that off like a goofy, weird type of businessman.
1: Yeah, that well that was the character that, you know, he was he was supposed to have been in for, but his ideas were just too out there for it.
0: Yeah, a little out there. Uh but um I like that it was Rick Moranis a little bit better because it really was hilarious how much taller Sigourney Weaver was and her throwing <laughs> yeah. him into a you know, a, a kiss where she's holding him. It was it's just fucking hilarious. It just really I don't know. Well technically she's sl-
2: Yeah, technically she slept with him in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it they didn't really hit that much,
1: but that's what it ended up happening. Oh,
0: we t- we talked we we touched on how there's a lot of sexual innuendo in this movie.
1: Uh Gozer was originally going to be played by Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman.
0: Oh um, shit. Oh,
2: he would have did that. He would have did a good job, I think.
1: Uh, uh in the original script, Gozer took on the form of uh, Ebo Shandor, the ghost building's architect who uh started the original Gozer cult. Um and uh, Evo was uh, described as a pale, slender, unremarkable man in a business suit. Gozer's final form was described as David Bowie meets Grace Jones. And then Evo Shandor ultimately made his appearance in Ghostbusters, the video game, and was portrayed uh, by J.K. Simmons in Ghostbusters Afterlife.
0: Um, did you notice how politically correct they were in this movie way before its time in describing how Gozer could be whatever form they wanted to be basically saying yes. he could be a he or a she yeah. could be a she. It was so funny because it's like not, that was not even intentional.
1: Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll get to that. The The uh, woke crowd does not like this movie. So oh, I we'll bet. Get to that there's a the lot trivia. of stuff
0: to not like.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, There's one thing in particular. We'll, we'll get to it. Um, the debon- The demonic voice of Dana slash Zool was performed by director Ivan Reitman. And then Patty Edwards provided the voice of Gozer later on in the film.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, Sigourney Weaver floating is an actual physical effect. The actress was put in a full body cast and attached to a post uh, hidden in the curtains. Uh, according to a DVD commentary, the effect came out, uh, came from Ivan Reitman's Broadway experience.
0: Okay, interesting, interesting.
1: Uh, Sigourney Weaver recalled I once had a fire in my apartment after the movie, and the firemen came to put it out. Uh, one of them opened up my refrigerator and said, Whoa, you better call the Ghostbusters.
0: Hardy, har, har. (laughs) Hardly the time for that bullshit. Did she also have to sign an autograph? Jesus. Uh,
1: Probably. (laughs) Uh, here's Here's the woke alert for you. Many contemporary viewers have taken issue with Bankman's line that he gave Dana Thorazine as the drug has been used in cases of date rape. However, in the 80s, the drug had a reputation as a safe and effective way of bringing people down from bad trips.
0: Well, of course, they're going to look for the most negative thing they can come up with.
1: So they're, they're trying to claim now that him giving her Thorazine was him way of doing date rape, but Thorazine was a legitimate anti, you know, psychotic that they gave people whenever they were freaking out. So. Well,
0: yeah. <laughs> and he specifically laid out his boundaries. He's like, I have an issue with <laughs> sleeping with possessed, with people. possessed people, Yeah, <laughs> you know, or people that are possessed, whatever. And, and he then, was like, yeah. no, no, no. And he was like trying to calm her down and keep her covered up. Like date rape, if that was going to happen, okay, we would have, we would have seen it calm the fuck down. Hey.
1: Speaking of that, he's got that great line because she says something like, I want you in me, and he's like, honey, there's already two people yeah. inside you. <laughs> uh, the lively chorus shouting Ghostbusters during the film's theme song consisted of Ray Parker Jr.'s girlfriend and her friends, uh, the only people Parker could find quickly enough to meet his deadline. Um, he said that in a 2015 interview, he got the idea when his son shouted the, the Ghostbusters, and that's why he decided to add it to the song. Uh, exterior scenes of the Ghostbusters headquarters were filmed at the hook and ladder number eight firehouse in Tribeca section of New York city. Inside the firehouse are uh, Ghostbusters sign and photos taken with the cast and crew. The interior of the, the actual interior that they use is in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, The Los Angeles firehouse has been used in many movies.
0: Hmm, Okay. Which makes sense because it looked pretty shitty. And I can't imagine an in-use, I could be wrong, it depends on what area of New York, but I can't imagine an in-use firehouse in New York looking that terrible.
1: Yeah, uh, this was the highest grossing comedy of all time until Home Alone. Wow. Uh, this is Columbia Pictures' highest grossing film of all time when adjusted for inflation.
0: Wow. Yeah, the film, the, in case you didn't hear earlier, babe, the film uh, it was made for with $30 million and it grossed $295 million.
1: Whoa!
2: Yep,
0: <laughs> it's it's still
2: Big. it's still a good film. It hold up. It held up hella
1: good, uh, uh, for sure. Yeah, uh, the terror dogs came to li- uh, that come to life were actual statue designs on an old church in Philadelphia.
0: <laughs> I like I like the terror dogs. However, when they're running or you see their backside, they always look so flat and low to the ground.
1: <laughs> looks- and they they. They got this weird pug-like thing about their bodies, too, that they have to flop down like a pug, because they got the short stuff. It's it's funny looking. Yeah. (laughs) The jail scene was filmed in a prison reported to be haunted.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm interrupting you, (laughs) sir. Please go back to the one above what you just started.
1: Okay, okay. (laughs) <laughs> the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man <laughs> suit cost approximately each. There was the the suit that was used cost approximately twenty thousand dollars each. There was three of them made, and all were destroyed during the filming.
0: Gee, what? Why? What? What caused them to get destroyed? Other than the Ghostbusters? Okay, I can understand one.
1: I don't know. They had to set fire to at least one of them. So I mean, oh, my <laughs> I
0: don't know. God, but I want to let everybody know that for forty dollars, you can go on Amazon and you can buy one a little blow up one and my husband oh he's already giving me the look he's like don't fucking do it I have wanted to be that character for at least three years for Halloween but clearly I settled on of the Hut. so <laughs> he was none too impressed with either one of them
1: Um. Yeah, uh, but are you gonna make a TikTok out of that one and go viral with it? (laughs) Hey,
0: going viral was a total accident. So if I do, I do. You know, it'd be
2: funny. Before every episode, you get like an uh, you dress up like something that resembles the film you're going to cover and do a TikTok about it.
1: (laughs) That would be hilarious. Oh my god, we'd
0: have to we'd have to have a death holler TikTok, and I can barely keep up with my TikTok.
2: It'd be it'd be fun to do that.
0: That would require a lot of costumes. Well, no, really you, you could
2: do makeup and different things. Just come up with the idea, your little skit or whatever, and then run it.
0: Maybe. Uh, we'll talk about uh, that in upcoming episodes.
1: Um, As long as you don't do, like, a TikTok version of uh, I think I downloaded the wrong movie. And then oh, Lord. About, you need to move <laughs> that over to another platform. He
0: would not have. Yeah, that would be OnlyFans. <laughs> oh, the hubby missed the um thing. I'll have to play it for him later.
1: Uh, The jail scene was filmed in a prison reported to be haunted, and the dailies uh, had scratches all over them with no apparent physical cause. Ivan Reitman was concerned about returning there, and the crew was very relieved to find enough footage to be able to complete the scenes without returning.
0: Wow. (laughs) No, thank you.
1: Uh, After the film's release, William Atherton, who played Walter Pecker, (laughs) uh, became reviled. (laughs) (laughs) When he was running into director Ivan Reitman one day, he was furious and upset by how people treated him. He told uh, Ivan Reitman that he couldn't go even go into a bar without people wanting to pick a fight with him. Uh, in another incident, Atherton was walking down a stretch of 7th Avenue in New York City, which was entirely crowded with school buses when he heard lots of children shouting at the top of their lungs, hey, dickless.
0: Wow. <laughs> Look at it. He sold that role. He should be proud of himself.
1: But that's like I told you. He was in three films where he played a total ass. Like in Die Hard, he's like the worst character in the movie. Like he's a total asshole.
0: I told you he had resting dick face, so, you know. <laughs>
1: He does. He he entirely does. Um, This film was originally intended for an adult audience. The cast and crew were surprised to find that children loved the film as a fun fantasy adventure of scientists battling supernatural threats with cool backpack weapons. Uh, This is what led to the cartoon series, uh, The Real Ghostbusters, and was the reason many adult elements, such as smoking, were downplayed in the sequel remarking on this the smoking uh, we did ecstasy says ramus
0: <laughs>
2: wow oh yeah they're they were party animals all those guys were
1: <laughs> um yeah but that, that, i just thought that was funny because like somebody said well if you didn't smoke in the second movie what'd you do and he's like we did ecstasy that's just that's such okay. a good line uh, the proton packs were much heavier than they looked. Uh, some were heavier than others, uh, depending on what scene de- what the scene demanded. According to Ivan Reitman, none of the actors enjoyed wearing the packs, but Harold Ramis complained the least. Reitman wouldn't say which actor complained the most. However, he did strongly imply <laughs> it was the diva bill murray oh hold
0: on we are so surprised right now okay wait (laughs) what was the purpose of them being so heavy they could have gotten away with making something light and then i understand if one of the scenes required the lights to be going off and stuff like that where it's a close-up yeah you're gonna have a slightly heavier one
1: I, I have no idea, and then, uh, but it's also like a callback in the second movie. Whenever Rick Moranis puts his pack on, he's like, "These are a lot heavier than they they look like they should be, or whatever." You know, he's got that line whenever he suits up as Ghostbusters, and it's a callback to this movie. Well, I'm curious. That, you know. I'm
2: curious if that that was an ad lib um, line.
0: <laughs> Maybe. It, well, they a lot of them ad libbed in the I, song. I, That's
2: what I'm saying, though. I'm, yeah, I got a feeling that, that might have been.
0: Well, yeah, and they but, look heavy to put on too. You can tell that they struggle when they put them on.
1: I think that might have been why they wanted them to be practical, but why they had to always be practical is a whole other situation, why they couldn't be styrofoam or some other thing. Yeah, and they had um,
0: to run with them too at times. Yeah,
2: but it it works with the movie because you get the realism of what it is.
0: I guess so. That,
2: that, to me, like little things like that go a long way in a movie to really sell what the what they are.
0: Well, but they're actors. They should be able to sell it on their own.
2: <laughs> yeah, but the way, the way it carries on their body, it shows. So if the
1: weight didn't represent it, like. To me, it it pre- does because you kind of see them slumping with it, like they were struggling against. Yeah, the and humping it, it so. around,
2: carrying it. Like if they were just carrying it, it was like, like they were carrying a, a, a balloon. It it wouldn't it wouldn't seem as as it didn't it wouldn't have the same feel. I think.
1: The uh, one other thing I wanted to say, since we're talking about ad libbing, and we'll get to it a little bit later with the the reboot. I mean, even though these guys improvised a lot of these lines, I mean, Aykroyd in particular, I think stuck with his and like, he also like, you know, gave them like a format to work within that makes a huge difference because if you're like that Phil Lord and that, you know, Spectre guy who allow just ad-libbing ad-libbing through, you know, to actually make the script up while they're on camera, you get shitty movies that way. Oh, yeah. So.
0: Absolutely. I think that they did feel- a good job following at least some sort of.
2: Yes and no, because I mean, if you if you look at, uh, what's it called, that Larry David show on HBO, that whole show is ad-lib. They know what the end's supposed to be, but they just work it out in real time.
0: Yeah, but that's still having some sort of form.
1: No, no, but yeah,
2: I mean, It's like wrestling. Form. They know the end, but they don't know what's going to happen all the way in between
1: but you got to also have like professional improvisers. And I think that yes. when we get to the reboot, that's one of the biggest failings of that movie. It's like, you can tell they're improvising a lot of the lines, but they are, but they go nowhere. Like there's no point to anything that they say. Like it doesn't like lead to an end of any way, shape or form. Are
2: you talking about the girls one?
1: Yes. Yeah. It just proves
2: that guys are funnier than girls.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or at least when uh, they needed better ad libbers also I'll say, you know, um, Let's see. Uh, Aykroyd's original version of the script began with the Ecto-Mobile flying out of the Ghostbusters headquarters, and Ivan Reitman was the one that suggested it was better to show how the team got started as opposed to just going straight into it.
0: I mean, yeah, it definitely added to a good sequence of how things were going. I mean, you get the general idea that okay, Aykroyd had to sell his house, his dad's house, to <laughs> get a loan so that they could have money to put the stuff together. They had to buy the building. They had to buy the ghetto ass car. And then they had very little cash. But the one thing they missed was obviously what I had mentioned earlier was putting together the, you know, the trap and the blasters and things like that. It's just like they just uh, had them.
2: I, I think that background information works good, especially when they were when they were buying the house. And then you had Bill Murray and, uh, and uh, Harold Ramis trying to talk down the realtor oh, about yeah. how junky it was. And Dan Aykroyd comes sliding down the pole. He's like, we'll take it. This is amazing. No, yeah. (laughs) No, that was good. Ruined the entire but it shows you a lot about the character in that moment. Like, oh, this guy's kind of adult in some areas.
0: Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
1: Well, and I also like that line when you're talking about the mortgage too. And, and you know, oh, he yeah. just throws it out there. He's like, everybody has a third mortgage these days. And then like, you know, Spangler's like at 19%, your mortgage, you're just going to take you to what your, you, I think he gives like some amount. It's going to be like $80,000 a year just for the interest on it or whatever, because of the, I mean, you know, the huge interest rate he got.
0: Speaking of that, my, how the mortgage rate's gone back up now. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's history uh,
0: repeating itself.
1: It is. Uh, we're getting back to that early or late 70s, early 80s crap again. So, unfortunately. Um Kimberly Heron, who plays the dream ghost in the movie, a.k.a. the blowjob ghost, uh, had to have a mold made of her body for the form-fitting rig that allowed her to float. According to Heron, the prop tech putting the molding plaster on her was reluctant to apply the plaster to her breast. She grabbed his plaster-filled hand, placed it directly on her breast, and told him to get over it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, darn. He must have hated that.
1: Yeah, I think she was like a centerfold or something too. So I mean, you know, they—I'm uh, sure that was the worst thing he ever had to do in his life. You oh, know? poor it guy!
0: Just like all those movies that poor uh, Donnie G has to watch, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel so bad for him. Um, in rehearsal, Bill Murray teased Yugoslav model Slavista Jovh or Jovan about her pronunciation of the line "choose and perish." It sounded like Jews and berries to him, and he'd say, there are no Jews and berries here.
0: (laughs) That would not go over very well these days.
1: Uh, No, no. Uh, Harvey Comics creator Casper sued the producers, claiming the ghost in the logo was too close to the Casper character Fatso.
2: Oh, my God.
1: The court ruled against him, stating there was only so many ways you could draw a ghost.
0: True story. (laughs) Way to go, That's insane. (laughs)
1: Uh, It's people always want to try to get some money off something whenever they see that's popular. It's ridiculous. Um, Sound designer Richard uh, Begg's made the Ectomobile siren sound from a leopard snarl that was edited, pitched, and otherwise processed in analog. Oh, so really? Be hearing that reow, reow, like that? That's that kind of cool. Roaring in.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, di- I didn't realize it wasn't an actual siren.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird, and you can kind of hear it whenever it's got, like, the weird, like, long, drawn-out uh, siren calls it makes. You can almost, like, you know, hear, like, the bass, uh, that it is kind of an animal coming out of it. See,
2: and that's such an iconic noise. Like, if almost anybody was to hear that noise in the other room, you would automatically identify, oh, Ghostbusters.
1: yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it, it, just, it's, it's the movie. I mean, it's the Ectomobile. Even,
2: even then just the cartoons there's years of hearing the cartoons. And it's like that, uh, that scene's always awesome. They come burning out of the, out of that firehouse and just get sideways. And all you hear is a siren going off. Something about <laughs> yeah. that I always made me want to drive my car as like an idiot
1: wow i can't i can't remember because watching all these back to back they all blend they, some of them blended together but i can't remember if it's in one or two but i think it's in one there's a scene where uh murray's sitting like next to ackroyd whenever he whips around the corner like you know cuts through a lot and people are honking at him and murray just gives them this look like jesus christ you're going to kill us you know but i think it was the second one. he just gives him that look you know like, wow <laughs> Uh, the Stave Puff Marshmallow Man scene is the final in in the final film is uh, as it was written in Dan Aykroyd's original treatment, exactly as he wrote it. Uh, Ivan Reitman was frightened at as, as the step uh, uh, audiences had to take and uh, and how and and how believable the creature was. This was his biggest concern at the first screaming or screening of uh, Columbia Studios at the time. They only had one shot of the Marshmallow Man, the one between the building uh, and of the monster's head. It was enough to make the audience go crazy with laughter while filming the final <laughs> scene. Uh, the ending wasn't completely worked out, and Reitman recoll- uh, recollects that the crossing the streams idea had come up somewhere in the screenplay prior to this, but using that to kill the Marshmallow Man uh, came through uh, working out the scene on set. Um, cause he was, he was basically talking to me. Like, so let's, so let's talk about this marshmallow, says Ivan Rotman before explaining it was actually uh shaving cream, um, huge laundry bags full of shaving cream were dropped on the people on the set. And before the big drop, William Atherton, uh, asked Rotman if it was going to hurt. Rotman simply said, I don't know because <laughs> they just dropped big old bags of shaving cream on yeah. top of them. Uh, Menthol shaving cream was used, and as a result, at least one person did have an allergic reaction. So there was that. (laughs) Reitman states that people had more of a problem with the limited amount of marshmallow Bill Murray than they had with the fact that the Ghostbusters survived. That the marshmallow man, that there was a marshmallow man in the first place. Of course, the idea of Bankman being covered much less than the other Ghostbusters was obviously Murray's idea. Oh, big shocker! Yeah, you know. Uh, on the opposite end, Ackroyd loved the shaving cream and he kept asking for more of it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
1: I can just imagine him just being a big Sorry. kid on the set. Like he was just, I'm, I'm sure he was like, just, you know, like bouncing around everywhere like him and that going down that pole was probably him in real life. Like oh, yeah. you know, during the whole filming.
0: 100%. And like, he helped create this, like this was, this was his baby. So not only did he get to create it, he got to participate much, you know, much like, uh, what's his name? Raymond, is that his name? Ramus. Yeah, Ramus. So, uh, yeah, they probably had a good old fucking time.
1: So that's that's all the cherry-picked uh, trivia I have for that film. Do we, do we mo- want to move on to the cartoon, or do we want to give our ratings of the original Ghostbusters before we move on?
0: We could do all of them uh, at the – we could do, I mean, one and two at the same time. I just can't do, you know, Afterlife or the six, 2016 –
1: Okay, okay, we'll do, we'll do the first two movies then whenever we get done with it. Okay. So the real Ghostbusters uh, was a cartoon that ran from September 30th, 1986 to October 5th, 1991. Um, the, some of the famous voice actors that were on the show, Lorenzo Music, who played Venkman, at least at the start, and we'll get to why he it changed, uh, is also the voice for Garfield. So if you hear Peter Venkman and, uh, sounding like Garfield, that's because it was the same voice actor,
0: which is funny because later uh, on in life, Bill Murray played Garfield.
1: Played Garfield, which is hilarious. <laughs> uh, Maurice LaMarche, uh, who play, is the one who plays Spangler, uh, is also the voice of many, many people on Futurama. Uh, you can hear him as a lot of the aliens on that show, but he's the one that does the voice for Spangler. Frank Welker plays Ray Stantz in the show, in the cartoon. He was also friend on Scooby Doo. Okay. Uh, and he was the voice of Slimer, so he played dual roles on the show. <laughs> uh, Dave Coulier, yes, Uncle Joey, uh, played Venkman later on in the show. And, of course, he's also the person who supposedly the inspiration for You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette.
0: He was uh, a muse. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> in a very bad way. But. In a
0: very bad way. That was a very spiteful song.
1: Yes, it was. Uh, and then Laura Summer... Played Janine at least in the early part of the show, and we'll get to some of that trivia about that. Uh, and she was also uh, her other major thing that she did was she was a live action. She was in the live action horror movie uh, Girls Night Out, which is kind of a, a very unknown slasher about like this guy who dresses in a in a mascot teddy bear suit with knives attached to the fingers and goes around killing these girls in a sorority. And rounding out the cast, we have Arsenio Hall, who played Winston.
0: A big shocker. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they didn't get Winston to play Winston.
1: <laughs> um, well, there's some trivia about that, too. And okay. it fucking sucks for Ernie Hudson uh, yet again. So, fuck, dude. <laughs> um, so in 1975, uh, Filmation, the animation company behind He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, produced uh, The Ghostbusters. A uh, 1975 live-action series about two men and a gorilla who hunt for ghosts. What? Yes. It's very bad. Don't ever try to watch it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Columbia Pictures had to buy the rights to the title from Filmation. Uh, Filmation capitalized on the film's popularity by producing their own cartoon called Ghostbusters in 1986. Based on the earlier series, it was just a cartoon version about two guys and a uh, and a gorilla going around hunting, and it was very badly done animation. I mean, like
2: sounds. I did. It sounds horrible. <laughs> like, what does a gorilla um, do?
1: Uh, it basically uh just, I mean, got upset and you know beat on things a lot. I mean, it literally, it was a gorilla. It didn't really have much of a point to the show other than being a big goofy gorilla, and you know, kid. And supposedly, it was. To make the kids go, oh, funny gorilla, you know, I, weird bad concept.
0: It was the seventies. So, I mean, come on! Oh <sighs> my god, I am lucky. Oh god, this is terrible. Let
2: me see, yeah, around. it's bad. It's bad. Just let me see an image. Um,
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> To avoid confusion, the animated series based on the film was called the Real Ghostbusters, and it came out the same year as the shitty, you know, Ghostbusters cartoon. Yes, there's the filmation oh, cartoon okay. right there. Yes,
2: so that that's why they call it the Real Ghostbusters. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like today I'm... on
0: Twitter, the real such and such with a blue check mark.
1: <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Real Ghostbusters, uh, Ghost R Us, is uh, about a group of of. Uh, Fraudulent, uh, 1986, is about a group of fraudulent Ghostbusters trying to steal the real Ghostbusters business in Thunder. Uh, so that must be like a cartoon or something they did. Okay. Um, the characters of Spangler and Venkman originally looked like their film counterparts, but they were changed for fear of being sued over the likeness rights. Um, Stance and Zettimore were never designed to look like a- Ackroyd or Hudson, respectively. Um, the reason that they have different colored outfits in the cartoon is because in an episode called Citizen Ghost, which took place immediately after the events of the first movie, um, had them. Uh, their original uniforms were supposedly covered in some kind of uh, psychic ghost energy from where their fight with Gozer, so they had to be destroyed. But of course, Vankman, being lazy, didn't do as he was told, and spirit energy within the clothing created ghostly versions of the Ghostbusters. Uh, and they also have that classic line in the episode Hey, we're the real Ghostbusters, bub. So that, you know, that's where that kind of comes from, too. Uh, this episode is also uh, explained how Slimer came to be named and why he is a member of the team. Um, he hung around the firehouse after the containment unit exploded uh, because the guys were the only beings that had ever shown him any attention. And Ray is the one who actually gives him the name because, and just so because, or to piss off uh, Vankman because he slimed Vankman, you know, so he called him Slimer um y'all have yeah. any comments on any of that or
0: I mean not in terms of the trivia itself other than the fact that I really wish that they played this on the current Saturday oh no after school cartoons is what the kids were watching on uh Vizio Vizio or what not Vizio but what's that TV app that we have Pluto Pluto because they do play a lot of classic cartoons like this and man I just remember I mean, I was that typical 80s kid sitting in front of the TV on the floor, waiting for my cartoons to come on. And this is one of the cartoons that I was watching.
1: You can actually watch it for free right now (laughs) on Crackle.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Check it out. That's kind of badass.
1: so, and also the reason they wanted their clothing to be different is for merchandising purposes. That way you could clearly tell it's like, Hey, I'm getting the, the one in the blue outfit. It's so-and-so, you know, it's like, I mean, that's the reason they wanted them all different so that they, the toys would sell better.
0: Oh, okay. Oh my God. I, I mean, uh, it's not dumb. So. <laughs> uh,
1: Maurice Lamarsh was told not to do an impression of Harold Ramis when auditioning, but he did it anyway and got the job carrying it over to the show. <laughs> Now here's the controversy that comes in. Lorenzo Music uh, was replaced by Dave Coulier because after 65 episodes of the show, Bill Murray catching you know catching the show and, you know and, and watching it, questioned why his character sounded like fucking Garfield <laughs> and Ramis' character sounded like uh, the you know Harold Ramis. Higher ups at Columbia moved on the complaint, which by most accounts was not intended to get the voice actor fired and replace music with someone who could do. Uh, a fairly decent Murray impersonation. So that's why they got that cool.
2: Wow. <laughs> that sucked.
0: And it's not even yeah. supposed to be related. Like it's supposed to be different. They, in fact, they didn't want to get in trouble for the likeness. So they didn't even exactly. make the can- Oh my God. That's fucking insane.
1: And, um, Ernie Hudson did try to get the role of Winston and they turned him down. They said, we're, we're going with Arsenio hall. So he got shafted yet again.
0: Um, for reference, uh, um, why can't I think right now? Who was originally supposed to play Winston? Uh, Eddie Murphy. uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was originally slated to play Winston.
2: I don't know if he would have been good. I don't think that would have worked out.
0: Yeah, we agree with that. But, um, I guess last minute he decided he couldn't. And so most of the, um, the scenes that Winston was supposed to play in were kind of removed, which is why... When I told you he was one of the most useless characters in this film, he wasn't intended to be. He was actually supposed to have some pretty fucking amazing skills uh, and be a little bit more intelligent than what they originally had planned, and they kind of just slapped together that role that ended up being the Winston role we know today.
2: I think it worked out good. He he was just a guy that walked on to the, to the scenario.
0: Yeah, but originally, in the original script, he brought something more to the table. He actually brought skills to the table and knowledge. Mm. So it was... It
1: yeah, was, he was a... He was a demolitions expert uh, in the Army before, or, like, Air Force before he uh, became a Ghostbuster. He was also a medic at one point. A construction construction worker. worker. He had uh, various different uh, careers that he'd done prior to the Ghostbusters.
0: Yeah, and in the the film, what ended up being the final version, he was just some guy that was like, I'll take a job, any job, whatever. And it was like, (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying that... Uh, I just was, I don't know. I, I he can't
2: remember the, the, out of all the characters, he, he didn't have a backstory.
0: He was supposed to, it was a ri- originally yeah. written script. I don't know why they removed all that. So. And they
1: gave his backstory to his character in the cartoon.
0: Yeah. Which is fine. I mean, I'll, I'll take that. So I loved the uh, cartoon so much though. <laughs>
1: I, I do want to say, though, speaking of Ernie, Ernie Hudson, I do love that scene between him and uh, Dan Aykroyd when they're driving down the road uh, together in Ectomobile, and they start talking about revelations, the end of times. That's one of the best scenes, I, you know, creepy-wise, to me, in the, in the original film. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the sequel, Ghostbusters Two, uh, film came out in 1989, written by Aykroyd and Ramis again. Yeah. Uh, directed by Ivan Reitman again. The composer this time was Randy Edelman. So different composer than the original film. Uh, it was it was made on a budget of thirty to forty million. Made two hundred fifteen point four million. So this one also blew the doors off of the you know the the budget as you know far what? as making its money back. And
0: I bet you they were still upset that it made eighty thousand dollars. Eighty <laughs> what, Yeah, eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, $80,000 less than the original. I bet you they are pissed about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were probably like, you are going to do this. We're going to have to cut. No, actually, they were hankering for a sequel, but we oh, discussed yeah. that the reason why that didn't happen. Um, <clears throat> so principal players, not going to repeat them, same ones as before, but we've got a couple of new faces this time. We have Peter uh, McNichol, who's playing Dr. Janos Poha. Uh, Janos, I believe is how it's said. Janos mm-hmm. Poha who is an OCD uh, art restoration expert, unwanted crush, uh, and he's a patsy for an undead Carpathian warlord.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, he's been a ton of TV shows. Particularly, he was known for a role that he did on Ally McBeal, whenever that was a thing. He's done a ton of voice uh, acting on cartoons. And the big movie he was known for was Sophie's Choice, which actually figures into the trivia a little bit when we get to it.
0: Uh, and he was also in Dracula, Dead and Loving It, and he played Renfield.
1: That that makes sense because he's basically Renfield in yes, this. Yes, he's so Renfield in this movie, sense.
0: which was so funny because it was the same exact acting, and I was telling my daughter about it, and now she wants to watch Dracula, Dead and Loving It because, <laughs> in general, she just thought it sounded hilarious. <laughs>
1: We have Kurt Fuller playing Jack Hardemeier in this movie, uh, who plays the mayor's assistant, who is a a total weasel and is the second big bad of the movie.
0: And boy, does he have that look.
1: Uh, He definitely has that shitty, uh, just government uh, weasel look to his face. Even when he's the good guy in the movie, he's got that look.
0: He doesn't have resting dick face, but weasel is the best way to describe him.
1: Um, some of the movies that he's been in um and and we'll cover something else he's been in not movie but uh he was in midnight in paris uh running man uh he was in anger management he played the sheriff in scary movie mm-hmm. uh, the one that had to deal with doofy all the time yes and of course he played zach oh, on supernatural could we forget
0: <laughs> asshole? i almost forgot about that i actually liked his character in that
1: I think Zachariah,
0: <laughs> I personally think Zachariah was gone too soon, but whatever. It is what it is. But
1: he was basically the mayor's assistant, mate, uh, just in a different role in that. In,
0: oh, in 100%. Yeah. Uh,
1: and, and, of course, we have wi- uh, Wilhelm von Humburg playing Vigo, the scourge of Carpathia, the sorrow of Moldavia, the tyrant and sorcerer from the 16th century, uh, who was voiced by Max von Sydow of um exorcist fame
0: oh okay actually
1: wow and that's actually a source of contention that we'll get into later you they couldn't make these movies without pissing somebody off uh,
0: tell me about it
1: <laughs> yeah but how's
2: that any different from today though
1: it's not but i mean it's just it's hilarious that there was so much of this infighting drama bullshit in these movies you wouldn't have thought it but there was
2: yeah back then they just did a good job of keeping it under wraps <laughs>
1: Uh, of course, he was also in Die Hard, along with Reginald Johnson, who was actually in uh, the first movie, I believe, that was the one that was letting him out of jail. Reginald Johnson played cops in nearly everything back oh. in those days. Um, <clears throat> but he was in Die Hard. He was also in The Mouth of Madness. Oh, my God. Um, Noah
0: loves that movie. It's a good horror film. It's one of my it favorite
1: is. movies. It has that Cronenberg-type and- feel,
2: over-the-top, weird, mind-bending. Play-
1: Definitely a Lovecraftian film. for oh, sure. Oh yeah,
0: for sure. And I I now recognize him in that because he was looking familiar to me in Ghostbusters, and then but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And now that you've said, I've only seen In the Mouth of Madness once, and now I'm like, oh, there it goes. <laughs>
1: um, and he also played in The Silence of the Hams, <laughs> which is not the lambs, but the hams, which is that uh I believe uh Don uh, what is his last name? Cheadle. Can't, he was all no. He was always in the movies with, uh, uh, Burt Reynolds, Don DeLuise, Dom DeLuise is who oh, it okay. was. He played the big, you know, he was the, you know, Hannibal Lecter character in that, that knockoff parody. Um, um which, uh,
0: Silence of the Hams almost sounds like a movie, uh, the wrong movie to download. So <laughs> it's not, uh, it I've seen be, it, but... <laughs> but
1: it's actually like a Dracula Dead and loving it. Type yes, film. for sure. And then we have Henry J. Uh Deutschendorf yes. uh, the second and William T. Deutschendorf playing baby Oscar. Because well, if you're gonna have a kid that small, you need to have twins. Twins
0: for sure. And uh Henry was actually Hank. They had they had him <laughs> build as Hank in the in the final um uh what do you call it? The final scenes. The credits. Yeah, the credits. There you go.
1: Okay. Uh, So, synopsis of this film. Set five years after the first film, the Ghostbusters are no longer in business as the damage that resulted from fighting Gozer resulted in numerous lawsuits and financial hardship. Dana Barrett, newly divorced and a single mother, is once more the target of a supernatural entity. This time, it's Vigo the Carpathian, a medieval sorcerer in intent on using Dana's son, Oscar, as his vessel of rebirth. A river of slime, some Jackie Collins music accompanied by a dancing toaster, and, of course, a walking <laughs> Statue of Liberty, all culminating in the Ghostbusters once more saving the Big Apple. Oh, and Louis Tolley and Janine Bang. There's that. Yes. <laughs> Who?
0: Yes, they do. Louis oh, Tolley yeah, and yeah, Janine, yeah. yeah. The receptionist and the, the lawyer, if you will.
1: Um. So what are your all's thoughts on this one? I've got my own thoughts on the sequel. I know it's not as beloved, but to me, I actually like parts of it better than the first film.
2: I like it. It was, it was, it, it's still a good movie. It held up for me.
0: Yeah, I don't, I, I can't off the top of my head recognize any, I know you're going to point out maybe a few things here and there that were different or maybe weren't as favorable, but off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that I didn't, like as much um the music I don't feel was as great as no, the first the
1: music's the big intention point yeah
0: yes. um wasn't as great and that that didn't throw me off though it was still very much an enjoyable movie um decent enough storyline not nearly as scary though like not it's not meant to be scary but I don't know I thought it had some cool moments in the first one that was like that could you know a bit spooky I don't know but other than that I, I still liked it
2: yeah, I thought the second one was the whole idea of uh, using the slime, because yeah. it was psychoactive to do mm-hmm. different things with it, like to move the Statue of Liberty. But uh, overall, the movie was good. It, it I, they went like a little more kid friendly. You can tell with oh it. yeah for sure yeah, but I I don't know if it's more kid friendly or, or or what or because what, what what how much what offset was it in years from the first one
0: five.
1: Five years, and they were, and a lot of stuff they, or there was a few things they actually brought in from the cartoon into the movie. Yeah,
0: which, I mean, it's pretty fucking smart. Well, when did this one come out? Uh, 89. 89, okay, and the cartoon went through 91. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um... I actually think there are scenes in this that are, to me, uh, they're they're better scary moments in this one than there is in the original movie. I feel like the original movie is more like, uh, you know, like a blue collar, you know, uh, comedy in a lot of places with a few things like toward the end with Gozer and all that being the creepy parts of it. Where this movie has like, you know, scenes in the middle of it uh, where they're down in the tunnel, especially with the like the heads on the spikes appearing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the, you know, and the Winston and stuff like that. I mean, it, it, the atmosphere is a little bit, you know, to me, a little bit scarier at, at times. Yeah. And this one, the, and then the first one.
2: Yeah. Like um, well, the, the, that whole scenario where they're down the track and that train comes.
0: Oh, yeah. That was cool. I like how uh, he was like, hey, did you get the number? <laughs> As it ran right through Winston.
1: Uh, and then, um, I don't, and there's certain, there's certain things that I just, I, I like about the movie, like the design of some of the ghosts. Cause uh, you think back in the first movie, they didn't have a whole lot of different ghosts in the movie. It was, you remember Slimer, uh, I can't remember if it's in the first or second movie because those blend together, whether the running ghost is in, uh, I, I he's in the second two. one. Second oh one. God.
0: It was he,
2: yeah, he was running it as
1: I
0: was like, that ghost wasn't even doing anything to anybody.
1: <laughs> no but they had to catch him just because he was making people uncomfortable so.
0: oh good lord <laughs> that is ghostess, okay
1: um but in the first movie there was the cab driver that was kind of creepy that was the oh that was good driver. yeah
0: i did like that one i was like Ugh. um
1: but uh, they had the whole scene with the titanic in this movie i love that scene <gasps> oh like, that was yeah.
0: actually really cool yeah i and i don't remember that until i said so we saw it today
1: Um, and you know, the ghost that looked really good in that scene, the Scolari brothers, I love design for those. And and that comes into the blues brothers again, because they were designed to look like the blues brothers, you know, one tall and skinny, one short and fat, you know? Yeah. That
2: definitely Um, had to be a Dan Aykroyd thing then.
1: Oh, Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you have the Sclary brothers. You have uh, one of the creatures from the cartoon, the bug-eyed ghost. That's the one that's got like the. uh, it, It's kind of toward the end of the movie, but it's like got the. It's got like the claws and like the the big giant bug head or whatever that kind of flies out. Yeah. Um. There, I, I feel like the there's better designed ghosts than this one. Uh, that's what I thought I the one you just it.
0: described. I thought that was in the original one too. Um.
1: I no, could have sworn there wasn't. There was a lot of those like purplish uh, pink lights or whatever that you know was in the first movie
0: Hmm. okay
1: um they they definitely use their budget a lot better than this one and but the music that that's the contention for me because you go back and listen to it the first one's got that classic music it's got that that synthesizer creepy synthesizer song that we talked about yeah but the second movie is this like horrible. I mean, just absolutely awful. Like, uh, late what 80s, are you like- talking
2: about? I love Bobby Brown, man. Oh, oh man. my god. But- okay, the,
0: the the there's three good songs in this film. Okay, and that Bobby Brown one is. We're not saying that's terrible, <laughs> but we're talking about like music that was like that was created for. it, You know. In general, I,
1: I don't know. I personally didn't. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the, the Bobby Brown stuff. And <laughs> I feel like it's out of place. I thought Just me, yeah. I, mean. I
0: well, they okay, because Bobby Brown was so getting so big at this time. I mean, he had that <laughs> badass album that had come out that had done so well. You're gonna get that, especially an early a late '80s, early '90s movie.
1: Here, here's what I feel like happened. I feel like Columbia because you know they they were also a record producer, music label we're like hey guys this is going to be a big tent pole movie we've got this bobby brown guy you know that's that's going to break big let's put his you know some of his shit in your movie and i feel like that's what happened with this one they toned down the composing part of it you know the the creepy like composed music uh, that that helped the first movie and then they they put more pop songs into it and um uh, I feel like that was Columbia trying to sell records more than anything.
0: I mean, yeah, because they always get it. I mean, I'm not surprised by that, though. That's something that was big back in this day. I really do like that Bobby Brown song. You
2: you know what sucked about that song? The only thing I hated was the music video. I don't know if you ever seen the music video. It is Horrible. (laughs) Is so bad.
0: Oh man, I I I have not seen that video, so I'm gonna have to watch it. It's gonna make me hate the song now because when it has
2: no, the song still holds up. The, no, the music video is and horrible. if I see a
0: terrible music video, I don't care how much I've liked the song, I start to hate the song for some reason.
1: <laughs> um, I do. I've always kind of liked that Well, I mean, I, I go back on one thing though. I, I've always kind of liked that little song they play whenever the Statue of Liberty's moving, just because yes. it's lifting it's goofy. me higher. Yeah, yeah I I it, do too. <laughs> Uh, but it fits it. It fits that scene. And for some reason, it reminds me a lot of Scrooge because you get all the people feeling good because of the music playing. And it's almost like that end of Scrooge where they're, you know, all dancing to, you know, that put a little love in your heart. Oh you yeah. know, it's like, it's very similar to me. Yeah.
0: I was thinking the same thing too. <laughs> uh, the thing about the music in this is that they tried to go too mainstream with it. They were like, okay, let's make this a one huge hit. And with the first movie, they had a lot of composed music for the movie versus, yes. and they had only like one or two, maybe three, like in this movie, songs that were well, obviously one became a big hit. It wasn't a big hit yet. And then you had that composed song, Magic, you know, or not, that wasn't composed. That was actually an actual song. But wait, no, was yeah. that composed for the movie or did they use that
1: it? Was, uh, that was. It was made before the movie, the mm-hmm. guy made it, but then they they used it in the movie, and that was the very last thing the guy ever did.
0: Okay, yes, I, I was telling the hubs about that. And then um, I'm trying to think what else, what the song, I can't remember at the top of my head. But I don't know, just the sounds and the eeriness music that was played. That sounded really good, and we didn't get a lot of that in this No, second and
1: that, film. I, I missed that a lot whenever I was watching the second movie. It was like every time I was waiting for it to, you know, kind of creep into the, you know, the background, it was like some kind of, you know, pop song from the late 80s. And I'm like, oh, guys, you know, why, yeah. why did you have to do this so much?
0: It was a little cheesier, but you know what? Like I said, it's not something that while I was watching, I was like, this is stupid. I still very much was able to enjoy the film but it is something that is not to go unnoticed
1: i'm not gonna i'm not gonna disagree with you that bobby brown song is not that bad it's just i didn't i mean like you listen to it and and i'm just sitting there thinking i'm like i wonder how how much better it would have been with if it was composed music during this scene you know or something you know as opposed to like you know what they did but um do you all have any other thoughts on the movie i feel like the bad part about the second one and probably the reason it gets such a bad rap is a lot of beat-for-beat beat re-dos of the first movie. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they get arrested again, actually arrested and locked up, two different things. Uh, they have the whole scene where they're in the mayor's office again mm-hmm. fighting with his, you know, asshole assistant in this case versus Walter Peck in the first movie. Um, there, There's a lot of the similarities there, you know. Yeah, um, it was pretty
0: much the same shit, different day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think adding the element of the slime and the underground tunnel. And at first I didn't understand why they had Sigourney Weaver clearly go through quite the relationship drama in a very small amount of time. I mean, she went from being <laughs> yes. in a relationship with Peter to getting married, having a baby, and getting divorced. Like, wow.
2: Yeah, but I don't think that's that idea is too far off. It's you live, not, you no. live in a major city
1: no it's Um, not and if case anybody ever wondered there's like uh i think Reitman confirmed in like some kind of behind the scenes commentary that the guy who's oscar's father is that guy that's in the first movie whenever peter Vankman and dana are talking in front of the uh uh, or 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 is it in this movie when they're talking in front of the uh the fountain fountain. it's the first movie the, the first movie and then the guy behind them is um you know, kind of giving him the stink eye, Yeah, that, that's Oscar's dad.
0: Oh, my God. Okay. I mean, it may, it makes sense.
1: Um, let's see. What else? I, I was going to mention that this movie, even though it's more childlike or, you know, more geared toward children, does have some very under-the-radar, like, sexual stuff in it. And well, I'm do tell. Talking, <laughs> like, there's the line where, uh, you know, Peter Bankman says something about uh, – Spangler's, like, you know, unit basically or lack thereof. And, uh, uh and I think Spangler responds back to, he's like, uh, I've never had any, or th- they like to compliment me on my very large epididymis or whatever. Yes. And if you look that up, <laughs> that is a part of the penis. So I mean, you know, it's like, uh, there's that. And then there's the scene later on, which is really hilarious, but in a bad way where they're talking about, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about the slime oh, there all you go. around the, and, uh, and, and Bankman's like, well, you didn't sleep with it, did you? And then like, you know, stance says, of course not. And then they look over at, at Egon and he just like, uh, no, you know, he's basically like switch subjects, switch subjects, you know? So <laughs> he could not play that off
0: at all. I was like, Oh, that's gross. <laughs> Uh, but I
1: just thought it's stuff like that that I don't know why it's, it, it's interesting that it's in this movie that's clearly more oriented toward kids than the first movie.
2: What the, the thing, too, is just kind of kind of re watching these and then kind of comparing them to like the even even the newer one they did. Like, if you compare all three of those movies and then you look at the one the girls did, the story arc is way better. And, and I don't know what what. Because even in modern filmmaking, like the story gets lost in a lot of things, and you need it; it's critical. And I think these older movies do a good job keeping the story arc like linear, where you can kind of you have character, a lot better character progression.
1: And um, it, I think that's I think that's because of the writers, though. I think that Aykroyd and Ramis really knew the material inside and out and that's the reason that the movies were so good
0: yeah i mean you have to see how many actors that uh ramus went through before he decided you know what no one's gonna do this like me
1: (laughs) oh
2: really
0: (laughs) yeah oh my god it was like uh well you weren't here when we did uh, beetlejuice i don't believe you were you here when we did beetlejuice
1: yes yeah Uh, Yeah. okay
0: do you remember all the fucking it was like that only the list was longer It was ridiculous, and it was a lot of the same people from Beetlejuice. That it
1: was honestly, (laughs) yes.
0: So yeah, it was like a revolving, like, hey, these are the characters of the time, you know.
2: You know, thinking about that, I'm curious what the score would have been like if Danny Elfman had did the score for the movie.
1: Oh
0: Uh, man, darker.
1: Really, I I, and there's another universe where that happened, and I want to see. I I would like to experience that. uh, I think that would be really good.
0: Only the lucky probably know about it. So much darker, um, but yeah, because it
1: seems like a lot of
2: a lot of the element elements in the movie would play into his hand pretty good, at, at producing well, a score.
1: And he was he was really a, a good pop singer or musician on his own, so even the pop elements he could have handled, you know, boingo boingo. <laughs> yep. Um. So, do you all have anything you want to add before we get into the trivia for this one?
2: Yeah, the the, the whole slime thing, like I remember. Watching it when I was young for the first time, and like, oh, I don't like that. And I, now that I'm older, re watching it, I like the idea of the slime, the slime being what it was. I, I I don't know if I couldn't really understand it to the degree, but now that I'm older, I look back on it, I was like, it, because it, it, it allowed all the negative emotions to flow through the entire city and yeah, consolidate. It
0: was almost like an, ex- an, an external parasite, if you will, because a parasite can affect you in certain ways. You know, direct you. And in this case, yeah, all the human emotion. And
2: it explains why Airbnb New York is shitty.
0: I like how they also had, I like how they also had um, Egon doing, before this even happened, he was doing experiments on people's emotions and things like that. I think uh, the experiments were fucking hilarious, like making a husband and wife fight, you know?
1: um, Make sure to take, let's see what happens when we take the puppy away. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let's take the puppy away now.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah, that yeah. was good.
1: I, I also like the slime, you know, n- uh, especially now watching it because it gives a good, like, switch up to them just using the proton packs.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, they didn't kind of just whip those out the whole time. I'm, uh, clearly they were there, and, you know, clearly they uh, still had their gear. I, I think that it was, it was nice because even though well, I could see your trivia and one of the complaints that Murray had, I think <laughs> – I don't know. I think there was a lot more interaction, you know, than what is, what was being complained about.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, and I, I, I don't know. I I just feel like it, it was a good switch up. From, you know, just having the proton packs, it expanded their, you know, like what they could use as far as a, uh, like, because going forward in the game, when we get to it, actually the slime comes back and you actually have to use the slime as like one of your things that you fight with, which yeah. is a good, like, you know, tie back.
0: Yeah, it wasn't just a, hey, look what we can whip out. You know, it was like, oh, hey, no, this is the storyline and these characters have to bring it to life.
1: So, so you all want to move on to the trivia? Let's
0: move on to trivia.
1: So uh, speaking back to the Mox, Max von Sydow of it all, when Wilhelm found out at the premiere that his lines had been dubbed over, he left the premiere in anger, like just left the viewing of it.
0: I don't blame him. Like, they, <laughs> why, I think it's very insensitive to have him not at least involved or at least know about it ahead of time. How did they think that was going to go over?
1: I, I don't know. You figure they would have told him. It's like, listen, uh, we're not really getting ADR lines that are that great from you. We're going to get this other actor in. They could have at least warned him, you know.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I mean, of course, back then there wasn't as many was attention to HR and you know being sensitive and things like that. It was just like, get the fuck out of here, we're Hollywood, you know.
1: And the fu- and the funnier thing is, Max Boncino actually had to put on like a more of an accent to get to that, you know, to make it, you know, like seem reasonable for the character i'm sure it also pissed off wilhelm because it's like listen i've already got the accent you don't have to ask have somebody else impersonate me you know was
0: it the accent or was it the voice because i know voice can make a huge difference you know
1: i I kind of well it might not have been as deep as they wanted yeah that's what i'm thinking
0: yeah but
2: he could he could have acted that part out uh, his voice is pretty deep. If you think about In the Mouth of Badness, he had a deep voice with a thick accent.
0: That is true. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I, I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't know why they went the route of, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, whatever. Yeah. Well, made the decision. So it is what it is. It's
0: just impre- uh, impressive in a negative way, you know? You,
2: you, you know what was, the, one thing I did hate about the movie is uh, the very end with the painting.
0: Oh, that was the dumbest thing. Yeah. The painting of them all like, uh, <laughs> and, and the togas and... Yeah.
1: yeah that, that was, was that, but that was the kid of it all that was the kid you know like changes it's like you know kids watch it it's like that's so cool they're in the painting you know like whereas adults are like that's stupid yeah like oh blow me <laughs> Um, Vigo is inspired by Vlad the Impaler and Rasputin combined toge- together, which rah, is clear rah, whatever they...
0: Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen. <laughs>
1: Fun
2: fact, Rasputin's penis is on display, I think, in France.
0: That has been debunked, but yes, there is a display <laughs> of Rasputin's penis. Probably was the death erection I sent you guys because I'm a good friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, that probably was that. Louis Tully was added to the cartoon after this film really so they didn't so they didn't have rick Moranis' character in the cartoon but after this movie came out they're like hey he, he could be another ghostbuster let's put him in there
0: i think he is a. I think i don't know i i think he's a really good addition he's not just a random you know oh here's the goof of the of the film i think he really does add something in both films you,
2: you know what he comes off as and it's like a like a knock on not a knock on but it's like a pretty good <laughs> i don't know if they could pull that role off he comes off as that like a a like a Jewy penny pincher, like nailed that character of like the stereotype, which you would think from the first he, movie to the second movie.
1: He really does in the first movie because he keeps talking about how he like saved money. Oh yeah, like cans of whatever, and it's like yes when he was having off. his
2: party. I was just I which was is laughing. funny because those lines
0: like, were all ad libbed, by the way. Oh really? Every single thing yeah, at I that party he ad libbed. Yes. But
2: I was laughing now because if you try to pull that that kind of character off, I think people would get offended. I'm offended. Yeah, I'm. I'm surprised it was an outrage over over his uh over his role over that.
0: Oh well, my!
1: Well, speaking of getting offended, uh, it was Peter uh, McNichol who came up with Janosch's voice or accent and the and his origin story. Uh, the character was originally written as a lackluster villain named Jason, <laughs> and uh, th- uh, he based his accent off of Meryl Streep's accent in Sophie's Choice.
0: <laughs> so did he base his character off of uh how he played renfield and <laughs> dracula hey, S-
1: supposedly he made the character from carpathia is what his origin story was that he came up with and that's why he's got the extreme accent because yeah. he's supposed to be from the country that Vigo's from yeah and it's so funny like
2: thinking about alia mcbill and the character he played in there where he was just using his normal voice and it it's always funny when you see a character do an extreme version of a different, of of like something different. Like you know, it always got me with Brie with uh with Brie Olson from the Marvel universe when she was mm-hmm. uh playing the Scarlet Witch in the first the um, uh, the the one where she was developed in that uh, Marvel movie. I'm trying to think of the name off the top of my head. God damn it.
0: Not Brie. You're talking about one of the, the You're talking about the Olson.
2: Yeah. Her? No. Yeah. Olsen, Yeah. 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 I, I don't know her first name. Whatever it is. But like that role she played it was horrible. Watching her try to speak like a Russian,
0: oh it's, yeah, it's, it was.
1: And she
2: backed cring- off of it made it. Yeah, it was cringy. It's like, oh my god, what are you guys doing?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But that, like I, I yeah. but like I never felt like that when the, that role you played in, in Ghostbusters too. Like it, it never felt like a cringy.
0: Yeah, he
2: he, he sold the character of a foreigner like dead on. Like oh I, yeah. It's what did. you want I'm, to
1: get. I'm just saying, like, if you're going to go back and you're going to say, you know, like, I'm sure people get offended by that. It's like, clearly he's, you know, like, you know, making up, you know, but it's, it, the, his character Ness seemed more natural than uh, the character of, uh, of, from Perfect Strangers, if you know, if you know what I'm referencing, yes. Bartaski or whatever his name was. It was like, that one seemed a little bit more out there than, uh, than Janos. Uh, the sequel took so long to come about because of Bill Murray.
0: What?
1: Uh, he, he took a sabbatical from acting and was pissed off at the head of Columbia Pictures. It was only after another person took over as the lead and negotiation and, and, and the, the new lead of Columbia did uh, negotiations before he would agree to do this movie.
0: He holds some motherfucking grudges. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Holy crap, man. He held a grudge against Ramus. Until literally he was on his deathbed. They got into a fight, so they never did any other movies beyond together. And it wasn't until Ramos was on his deathbed that Murray was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: and I don't even know that he, that he apologized.
0: He's probably like, I'm sorry that we fought and you were such an asshole. <laughs>
1: from the time that they did the Groundhog Day movie together until the he was oh, on his really? deathbed. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't yeah.
2: know uh, Harold Ramos was involved in Groundhog Day.
0: Yes, he was involved he... in a lot of movies.
1: Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray was also disappointed with the film, saying it was too much special effects and too little of the actor's characters. What are you talking uh, about? I very
0: much disagree with that. <laughs>
2: yeah, so do I.
1: He states it was not in the film they were originally pitched or the one that Ramus wrote, but they had to make do with what they got.
0: Oh, Mr. Ad uh, Adlib My Own Lines, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> not, okay, That's look not at, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the okay, truth.
2: Okay, did he have the same opinion about uh, Steve Zazu, aquatic underlife uh, underlife <laughs> Like that movie was nothing but stupid CGI stuff.
1: I have no idea. I, I, he was just—I mean, I, you, you. The weird thing is, you hear these stories about Bill Murray like randomly meeting people on the street, like hanging out with them, being like the coolest guy ever, and then you hear these stories about how he was as an actor, and it's like they're—it's like he's got uh, some bipolar issues or something. Like well, either that or difference.
2: Either that or he had a disdain for the industry.
1: Well, the, I think he did, honestly, because that sabbatical and everything else, I think he really hated the industry, even though that was where he made his money. Like, he just hated every bit of uh, everything about it. So
0: Yeah, I mean, and uh, clearly he's done well in life. I, I brought this up before on another, I'm sure, another film that we discussed, but I always joke about how uh, the Chive approached him because they wanted to make Bill fucking Murray shirts, and he didn't take any money from them. He said, I'll let you guys use my likeness as long as you pay for me to go golfing. And so they have been paying for him to go golfing wherever the fuck he wants to go golfing. And that's how they were able to use his likeness and sell. Who knows? Millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of shirts with his likeness on it.
1: Yeah, but how much are they having to pay for him to go golfing? Because I'm sure he doesn't go to like the shittiest No, golf he doesn't.
2: No. And no. is it you're paying for him to go golfing or are you paying for him to fly, stay at a hotel? Yeah, that I don't know. I don't know the it, details of pay that. Pay for the room and board? How and may, I'm pretty how much sure of the entourage? at
0: this point they actually probably have their own jet. So you know and i'm pretty sure that i'm i'm wondering if there was some kind of length to the contract too cuz this was like decades ago that this happened so
1: um Aykroyd wanted the second film to be a subter- as to be subterranean as a counterbalance to the skyscraper focus of the original his first script had dana being kidnapped and dragged to scotland uh- where she was uh, discovered a fairy ring and an underground civilization but he decided to keep it in new york for continuity Mm, yeah, that's, I a uh, good yeah, I don't like yeah, that. Yeah, I idea. thought so too. I was like, yeah, good choice.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, I, I, it wouldn't have resonated with the American market as much.
1: It would have been interesting to see that as a potential movie later on, though, because I think the whole fairy concept would have been interesting. But yeah, uh, that was not a good follow up movie. uh Rodman blamed the movie's chilly re- reception. On a change in audience demand, uh, because uh, he's he kind of blames that Tim Burton's Batman was released like a week after this film, so people didn't necessarily want the the fantasy, you know, like you know, goofy, you know, uh, high spirited stuff. They wanted the darker crap, because you know, that's well, not what that, Batman but did. that
2: Batman movie was hella good.
0: Yeah, boo frickety hoo, <laughs> right was man? An
2: awesome Batman movie.
0: And that
1: had uh, Danny Elfman's score. So they also contributed to making that movie. You
0: know what? You still grossed $215 million. Calm the fuck down. It's,
1: I don't know. You you hear this with Hollywood. They they get all this money and then they turn around. They're like, we just did such a horrible job. We're going to have to can this whole thing. It's like, what the fuck are you guys smoking? Like, that's a success.
2: Yeah, is that the total numbers as of to as of like current day? How much they've made on the movie?
1: From what I've from what I've seen, yeah. That's video uh, sales. It didn't. It's
2: video sales and everything.
1: I'm sure, yeah, that it's probably, but it's well, it was box office, so I don't know. Maybe maybe that doesn't take in the yeah, because video sales.
2: Everybody had those movies growing up, so like the video sales of that, and now that we all had apparel, Ghostbusters like uh, toys and stuff like that. So I'm curious how much, how much market they did make in in bringing it out there.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, during the montage sequence after the courthouse scene, when the Ghostbusters sign is being put up, the sign maker's phone number, 516-374-2340, is visible. This was and still is the phone number for Five Town Neon Service Incorporated, also known as Johnny's Signs.
2: Uh, <laughs> that's actually I'm pretty cool. I'm curious how many calls he's gotten
1: over the years. I'm. I'm wondering too. That's kind of funny. I
0: wonder how many Ghostbuster signs he's been asked to make.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's probably a shit ton. I'm sure Which wow. probably probably did good for his business.
0: Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I'm gonna Google that. I want to see how they're how like how they're doing. You know,
1: the movie theater that is oozing slime is playing Cannibal Girls, a uh, 1973 film, which is also one of Ivan Reitman's early films.
2: The movie uh, it stars the-
1: Eugene Levy from American Pie.
2: Oh, really? So the one from the second one where you see the slime, the slime start coming out of it?
1: Yeah, that's the ghost. I think that's the ghost from the cartoon that comes out of that theater. Okay. The Vigo painting is actually a photograph and hangs in the offices of Industrial Light and Magic.
0: Wait, what?
1: Yeah, it's actually wow. a
0: photograph. Wow, okay. That's kind of cool.
1: Uh, we already mentioned the Sclari brothers were based on the blues brothers. Uh, the joystick used to control the statue of Liberty was a modified NES advantage joystick, which if anybody ever had one of those new instantly, as soon as they saw oh, it, yeah.
2: I saw that and I was like, I can never afford that growing up.
1: I got one of those way later. It was a piece of junk, but I mean, I was proud of myself when I did, uh, never had one of those, um, power gloves though. You know, the, the movie the Wizard with. you ever uh,
2: watched that, that angry video game nerd guy?
1: No. So he, well, I have, but I've not watched that episode you're talking about. So he about. does
2: one on the Power Glove. It is hilarious, dude. Because the whole episode, he's getting raged about it, about it. And finally, he starts playing certain games, and he plays Top Gun with it, and he's able to land an airplane with the Power Glove. <laughs> Which, if you play Top Gun, you understand it's almost insane to land an airplane in that game. Your jet. It's almost impossible to land a jet, and he pulled it off with the most clunkiest type of controller.
1: Yeah, that that controller only got popular because of the fact of the, the game, Fred the Savvy. movie, yeah. Yeah. That
2: that was that that in Super Mario Bros 3 you put that it blew it up on the market.
0: For um, sure. I have an update on uh I, Sons. No. Five Town Neon Signs. Um, they definitely they made it to IMDb. Obviously, the information you have about the signs and they ran with it on their Facebook page. But as of the moment, they <laughs> do not have their own website. Their phone number is not really listed on Google. But when I did pull up a Five Town Neon Sign Company, um, it's a different phone number with the two one two area code. But on their Facebook page, it is the same number that you had listed. So. <laughs> Very interesting. Th- they don't I'm look like they're uh, doing amazing.
1: Uh, They might be laundering money. We might not need to talk about it. <laughs> <anymore>. I know. <laughs> the first Ghostbusters, Um, this is the first Ghostbusters movie to use CGI effects. So all the effects in the first movie, as great as they are, are all practical and in-camera effects. And it's the slime in this movie that's CGI.
0: Oh. I mean, it looked pretty realistic considering.
2: What? What about when they fell into it? It looked faked as hell.
0: When they (gasps) fell into the slime, it looked fake. Yeah,
2: Yeah, when Ernie Hudson fell in.
0: I didn't think it looked fake.
2: What? I'm going to give up. Are you talking
0: about when he was going downstream? Yeah, the river. That looked fake. Yes, but like when they were getting out of it and everything, slime. That was real. That
1: that was like, that was practical at that point. Yes. I'm going to give them credit for the slime though. They, if they were going to do CGI as early as they were doing it, uh, doing like a weird, like malleable slime like this is probably the best way they could have went because I mean, it's not going to look as bad as trying to do, like say the, the major ghost in uh you know, the house on haunted Hill, you know, at the end of it, you know, it's not going to look like that piece of shit. Uh,
0: Come on folks. We have seen way worse (laughs) CGI in (laughs) more recent films. So, Oh, there's that
1: uh while paralyzed and tied up by vigo peter taunts uh, uh vigo insulting him for uh, picking greater new york city or the tri-state area rather than san fernando valley to reincarnate amongst earth's living in real life filmation studios ghostbusters was located in san fernando valley region of southern california receded to be exact oh god um so, and they were also the ones that uh, made He Man, which is the reason at the beginning of the movie. You know, when the kids oh, yeah. shout out, uh, "We want He Man," or, or you know, who you want to call He Man? He
0: Man, He Man.
1: They were so. This movie was constantly putting jabs out at Filmation because of the fact that they had the Ghostbusters name like constantly. Uh, that kid, by the way, at the beginning of the movie. Um, that, uh, you know, says, uh, you, my dad says you guys are full of crap. Uh-huh. You know, that that is Ivan Reitman's son, the one who would go on direct to the requel.
0: Oh, nice.
1: <laughs> when
2: you say requel, is that the girls movie?
1: No, the requel is the afterlife movie where they do a reboot slash sequel where they actually get the people from the original movie to come back and like play their characters again. Um, kind of like Scream 5 did or whatever you want to call the new Scream movie. Um the reboot is the twenty sixteen version, which we'll be getting to unfortunately very soon. But um but yeah, there was uh, uh that was Ivan Reitman's son in that scene. So and then you have all this other shit going on behind the scenes where they're fighting with filmation, so that's kind of funny, I think. Yeah. Uh the Ghostbusters video game. Wait, hold on, hold the, on.
0: Before we jump to that, are we gonna rate the two movies since we're there?
1: Sure, I forgot about that. Go ahead. Let's let's rate them.
0: Well, I guess I have to start now since I'm the one who brought it up. <laughs> yes, you do. So, uh, without saying too, too much, since we've already kind of discussed our likes and dislikes, I'm going to give one a four and a half because overall it's just a classic, timeless, fun movie with a great fucking soundtrack. Um, wish it did have like more scares to it because I think you can have scary and fun together um so which is why it's For not sure. a five so that's my feeling on part one part two i'm gonna go with a three only because it was a lot more kid friendly music wasn't great but overall still an enjoyable movie and a movie that you definitely have to see after watching part one so wow what <laughs> go on
2: i give both of the movies a Five slimes up, and that's- hands down. Those movies, <laughs> hands down. Those movies are like time capsules of, of, of America to a degree. Like I, I think that's they, true. I think they do a very good job of encapsulating the era in both the movies. Because there is within the 80s, there was giant jumps in the culture, and both the movies I think reflected that from the idea of the smoking from the first one to the, to the smoking in the second one, and a lot of other different things that took place. And I think they did a really good job of not only nailing the the story and everything, but nailing the culture at the moment, too.
0: And uh, the culture of New York, for sure.
2: Yeah, big time. For sure, yeah. Because the late 80s was a bad time in New York.
1: Uh, real, but they call it the rotten apple for a reason. Yeah, and neither. You know, but in
2: the movie, they know it. Like he's like it's every American New Yorker's God-given right to be an asshole.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what the mayor said. I love that line.
0: Yeah, it's very true. Yeah,
2: I I thought they did an amazing job of of, of knowing not that the nostalgia of how movies can be timeless, and neither, but the error that it was in. They did an amazing job.
0: Yeah, I gave the first one almost a five.
2: To me, both of them were fives. I mean. There's slight stuff you can knock the second one for, maybe like a four out of five, but for the most part, it still sits high on the... the it was a well-written story. I mean, there's always holes in anything. I think But for what the movie was, it nailed what it was supposed to do.
0: So for the hubs, it, both movies were fresh as fuck in the, in the rotting, rotting corpses scale.
1: Get five slimes up. I would give the first movie a five. Um, it's 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 a certified classic. I mean the the script it, it goes right down to the script. It's got one of the best written tightest scripts of a movie that if you go back and watch it, I mean there's no there's no fat in that movie. Like scripts they, that didn't purposes. get used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was I mean there was a purpose to everything they showed, and it all serviced the comedy, which you know was the main focus of it, and it had enough of the the horror elements to kind of offset that. But I mean it, you know could have been scarier. Yes. I, I feel like the second one was in parts, but it, for what it does, I, I feel like it's a, it's perfect. I mean, the music and everything just combined together. The second one, I would normally I would give it a four because it does repeat something. It is kind of a retread, but I'm gonna give it a four point two five because we broke this this thing a while back. You broke it, Uranus. So by
0: giving points,
2: uh, you know what? But the part where they where they end up in the mayor's office, I think that's a different scenario from the first one because the first one you had an asshole EPA guy stepping in. It, it thinking is he different knows. enough
1: to where it's not a complete repeat, but it's 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 very similar in in the overall intent of it. You yeah. know. Um, but I'm going to give it a 4.25 because, the, and the 0.25 is my nostalgia for it. This is the movie I loved as a kid. I, yeah. You know, everybody goes back and says the first one, the first one to me, I remember things from it, but honestly, it was like, I mean, it was, there's two going back and watching it as an adult. I love it, you know, but there was too many adult things in it. And I mean, not adult is in the sense of like the sex and all that. It was just like scenes where they were talking about stuff and I'm like, I don't care. Get to the green ghost again. You know, yeah. whenever I was a kid, whereas the second movie, like the whole way through, like, I mean, when that thing came out, I mean, I was the sucker for the merchandise and everything for it. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's got the nostalgia points going on for you, it. You know
2: what to me is always a benchmark on how good a movie is, is how many times can you can you re-watch it as an adult? And to this movie, you could easily rewatch it as an adult.
1: Uh, both of them, for both sure. Of them,
0: yeah. I mean, you,
2: you know what movie to me failed the test of time as a rewatch as an adult, and you probably will agree, is Monster Squad. That... <sighs> was atrocious as an adult.
1: It's not as good, but I, there's a part of me that's... I, I watched that so much as a kid, I, yeah. can't, so did I. I can't hate it. Like, I, literally, that was the movie every time I went to... If they had it at the local video store, I rented it every yeah, single it was, time. Oh, yeah. We when used, it was
0: on, I was watching that, so... Same
2: with me. It, that movie and Rawhead Rex were constant movies we'd rewatch, but even then, like, Rawhead we- Rex sucked, too, as an adult. Like, I tried rewatching Monster Squad with my kids, and I realized, holy shit.
0: It's not This it, is horrible. What did the kids think about it? Did they think it was amazing? They thought it was amazing? Uh, yeah. Okay, because normally they're like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, <laughs> no, they liked it. They li- Especially they like that the part where that- he kicks
2: a wolfman in the nuts.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: The, the going on that, which is a tangent, but I mean, if we're going to go with Fred Decker films, Night of the Creeps actually it plays a lot better as an adult. Yes, that's than, a hell of a good you know, movie. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It was a good one as a kid, it's better as an adult.
1: Yeah.